Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 181. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, joining me on this episode, we've got two guests, uh, Nathan Mercer from Microsoft uh, New Zealand is going to be talking to us about the new uh, 12-inch Surface Pro 3 that has just launched, uh, and we're going to exclusively hear the uh, uh, the first details on New Zealand pricing, and uh, then a little bit later on, we are going to, uh, we're going to hear from Scott Yarra. Now, um, he's the president of a, a technology firm called Pivotal, uh, who are a spin-off of EMC and uh, VMware, a company that is represented in New Zealand by uh, Curious, a division of uh, Telecom, um, and they took me to meet Scott in, uh, in Sydney recently. But first up, let's jump into our News Bites for the week. Uh, two years after shutting down their Australian Wi-Fi network, Telstra have announced a new $100 million national Wi-Fi service. Now what's interesting about it is that they plan to extend its reach by opening up internet access to their users uh, via customers' own in-home internet connections. So what that means is if you were in Australia and you were a Telstra customer, um, they could be slicing off part of your um, your internet bandwidth and offering it to those who are uh, in your neighbourhood, maybe uh, driving down the street, walking past your house, uh, etc. Uh, but if you are in that situation, maybe you're commuting uh, to the office on a bus or a train um, or you're driving, is that you would, you would have some level of internet access without having to uh, dig into your uh, your 4G or 3G mobile data allocation. Uh, now, QuickFlix, uh, they've been offering their streaming service in New Zealand uh, now for some time. Uh, they've just announced that that's now available on the Xbox One. Of course, it's already available on a, on a broad range of other devices, uh, including Sony PlayStation, the original uh, Xbox 360, uh, various TVs, and uh, and so on. Uh, but a welcome addition to uh, to their app lineup, having it on the uh, the Xbox One. Uh, now, um, one for those involved in uh, in the tech industry here in New Zealand uh, who are looking for uh, looking for cloud hosting services um, global IT company Dimension Data have announced plans to uh, offer to New Zealand organisations access to a local public cloud offering uh, that's in addition to their existing international uh, public cloud um, services now, something we missed covering a couple of weeks ago, uh, Samsung have uh, finally launched their uh, curved TVs in, in New Zealand. Uh, now, I had a look at those uh, going back uh, a few months. I had a look at uh, those ahead of launch, and uh, we're going to be having having some hands-on sort of time uh, with those very soon, so I'll be giving an update on those. And the other thing that's just launched in the last uh, few days here in New Zealand is the crystal blue washing machine. Now, what's uh, what's unusual about this is it's an internet-connected uh, washing machine. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll try that out as well and just see uh, how helpful it is to be able to monitor your uh, your washing from a remote location. Uh, maybe get alerted that your wash is finished, so it's time to uh, take those clothes and throw them in the dryer. Um, right. Well, that that's it on our news bites for this week. Let's jump into the, our chat with Nathan Mercer. So right now with uh, Nathan Mercer from Microsoft New Zealand here to chat with us a little bit about the uh, the new Surface announcement today. Welcome along, Nathan. 
Yeah, thanks for the invite, Paul. So just real quickly to intro me, I work here in Microsoft for New Zealand. I basically look after any Windows device that doesn't have a keyboard. So Nokia, HP, Dell, Lenovo, and obviously Surface. And um, so we had a big event this morning in New York uh, at 3 a.m. this morning, New Zealand time, where we announced a new Surface device for filling out the Surface family. Right, so we're talking about the uh, the 12-inch Surface Pro 3. Now, that's launched, uh, yeah, as you say, in, in the US uh, for pre-orders today. Uh, r- run us through the highlights, and, and then let, let's hear a little bit about availability uh, internationally and in New Zealand. Yeah, so I guess, you know, let's just talk about, um, you know, why we've built the device. Uh, you know, we had Surface Pro 1, uh, great device, 10-inch screen, uh, Core, i, Core i5, third-gen uh, Intel device. Customers kind of told us, hey, this uh, battery life is not very awesome. The the one-position kickstand, you know, you guys can do better. So we listened. We did Surface Pro 2. We redesigned the motherboard. We put a Haswell uh, Core, i, uh, Core i5 fourth-gen chip in it. We did a dual-position kickstand. Uh, but, you know, we always wanted to be the most productive tablet, and, and productivity means different things to different people, different for, different for an architect versus different for you for a, for, for a company manager pool. And um, we always wanted to be a laptop replacement. And we thought to ourselves, hey, look, we're not really there as a laptop replacement yet with Surface Pro 2. The screen's not big enough. Uh, it's a fantastic keyboard, but it can be better in terms of working wherever you want, uh, on the airport, bed, couch, desk, standing up. And I guess one of the other design things we're thinking about is, um, you know, over 90% of people who own a tablet or or an iPad also own a laptop. Um, They don't do it because they have to, uh, you know, they, they need to to be able to, you know, do that kind of consumer style mobile stuff that they're doing on the iPad but then doing their business stuff on the laptop. And that's what we kind of think about as the device dilemma. People want a tablet, but they need a PC. Right. So, so, you, are, so you, are you confident this is going to work well um, in, in a sort of a laptop-type usage where you're actually we, putting it on your lap? Because I know that was one of the things with the Surface Pro 2. It was going to be a bit better at that. Um, how, yeah, so, much, how much better do you think this is? I, I, I know it's something that uh, you know, they touted at the launch event in, in New York. What's your pick? Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, a couple of things. Why this is going to be a better device as a laptop replacement uh, is the bigger screen. 12-inch screen, uh, the kickstand basically now has an unlimited number of angles, so so many positions. Um, so you can almost, you know, basically pick the, the position that you want to have this, uh, this device uh, on. Uh, and it actually, you know, it goes all the way back, so it makes it really great uh, if you want to write on it um, you know, and use it like a kind of a writing pad. I think the other thing, Paul, is um, we've got a brand new type cover 3 that goes along with the, so that's the keyboard, and the keyboard has this new magnetic fold that adds more stability onto your onto your lap. It's kind of hard to explain with words. Right, so that, that's what helps with that robustness in terms of treating it like a laptop because I guess my thought was what the Surface needed was a, you know, some sort of a, a, a solid yeah, uh, metal like keyboard. Like a hard like, keyboard. Yeah, like we've seen from some of the other uh, uh, vendors. But uh, you, you think this will be, um, well, this will I, be you know, stable I've, enough? Uh, I've... I've used this new keyboard on my lap with the with the new kickstand, and I think the combination of those things, 
the fact that the tight cover is bigger, it's got more carbon fibre inside it to make it even more rugged, uh, even more solid. Uh, and, and really, you know, what that uh, with that magnetic fold, it basically means you kind of lose the gap between the top of the function keys and where it actually touches the device. So you don't get that kind of flopping around like you do get a little bit on the Pro 2 uh, and, and probably you get quite a bit on the Pro 1. Um, I guess, you know, some of the other highlights, Paul, uh, brand new screen. So 50% more pixels on the screen. So yeah, it looks like a really high-definition screen. In fact, is there yeah, so any, this is unusual in that it's got a, a 3 by 2 aspect ratio, right? Yeah, so so a big, you know, big change there. Uh, so full HD plus screen that we talk about. So 2K screen, 2160 by 1440, uh, which gives it a 216 PPI. Uh, beautiful screen. Actually, you know, so like I said, 40% larger. The, the the other key thing before I you know talk some more about the the, the screen there, Paul, is that um, 13 percent lighter. So we've actually knocked off 100 grams off the device. Doesn't sound like very much. It's actually pretty significant because although the device is bigger, it actually sits in your hand you know way way more uh, way better than what the Pro 2 is. And that's one of the feedback that we've had from customers is look, uh, you know you've made the Surface 2 nice and thin. What can you do for people that want a Pro device to make that uh, that thin as well. So it's down to 9.1 millimeters now. And if you think about that uh, size of the device, it's just slightly thicker than a Surface 2. And you're able to get a Core i7 in there. And we'll talk about um, some of the some of the new SKU options uh, in a minute. Right. That, you know, and and that, your, do you know how sorry. the do you know how the weights come off that? Is it a smaller battery in this compared to the Surface Pro 2 or? No, we've got the uh, you know we've got the same you know same battery life in there. It, it just means that we can kind of move out the components. We've redesigned the motherboard. There's actually about three years of engineering that have gone into the Surface Pro 3 device to to make that a reality. So so frankly, lots of engineering around the way that the cooling works, uh, and, and and so just being able to move stuff around and, and redesign that. Uh, is the way that we've been able to make that, you know, 100 grams. And, and frankly, it actually feels like more than 100 grams because of the way that the device feels. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I really love is it uses, it looks the same as a Surface 2. So it's that, you know, raw magnesium alloy rather than the kind of black painted uh, look like the Surface Pro and Surface Pro 2 is. And I just want to go back to one point you made about the new aspect ratio. Surface Pro 1, Surface Pro 2 currently is 16 by 9. The new aspect ratio is 3 by 2. Uh, we've done this because we think that people are going to use this device uh, with the pen. We've got a new digitizer on the device. We're using Intrig now rather than Wacom. And um, what that means is that it basically looks like an A4 piece of paper. We've moved the Windows key from along the horizontal edge to, to it'll be vertical at the bottom of the device when you're using it uh, you know, in portrait mode. Sure. Um, and I think one of the really cool things about the pen is that the pen's got a new button on it. We've done some work with uh, the OneNote team. When you hold the uh, the button on the pen down, it'll actually wake the device up, it'll launch one note, it'll create a new note even if the device is locked, and then you push the button again, and it will actually send that uh, note off into the OneNote cloud, so you can get that on your Windows phone, your Android, your iPhone, your iPad, your PC, 
and your Mac. And, and one other pretty cool thing about that, Paul, is that if you're actually using the device uh, and you say you're browsing the web or something like that, you can do the same scenario and it'll basically take a snapshot of what you've got on your screen. You can, you can, it's basically a bit like a snipping tool. You can kind of snip what you want. Sure. You can annotate that. And it's actually, that's going to be a pretty interesting scenario for, I think, you know, students and business people uh, you know, if you think about what's the most uh, product, what's the most uh, device that people use today for productivity, it's still a pen and paper. And, and I think there's some things that we can do to make uh, PCs much more natural for writing. And that even goes down to the way we've designed the pen. It feels like a pen, uh, and the way that the pen feels when you're writing on the glass of the Surface of Surface Pro 3, uh, it just feels really amazing a lot of you know deep work and I think that goes back to the the kind of 10 11 years experience that we've had going back to the XP tablet PCs and even before that right so are there any of these in New Zealand at the moment we will have some in New Zealand uh, in about two weeks uh, that we will be using to to run some events and do some customer demos uh, these will be available in New Zealand for purchase uh, in August. As, as you mentioned, uh, they go on pre-order tomorrow. Um, we've actually got five models coming of this, uh, and we are going to have the Surface Dock available in New Zealand this time. So I think that's another reason why uh, our business customers particularly are excited about this. We uh, The five models, we've got a 64 gig, uh, 4 gig of RAM, uh, with Core i3, which is 11.99, we've got a 128 gig, 4 gig of RAM Core i5, which is 14.49. These are all including GST, New yep. Zealand dollar. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a 256 gig, 8 gig of RAM uh, Core i5, 18.79 New Zealand dollars. So I think that one will be quite popular. That's a lot of people want 8 gig. Mm. And then we, for the first time, we've also introduced the Core i7. And the interesting thing about the Core i7 is that they have the Intel HD 5000 graphics rather than the 4400, which is across the other models. And so we've got a 256 and a 512 gig Core i7, both with 8 gigs of RAM. Yeah, that's quite an impressive spec. Now, um, what's going to be the situation with warranties? I know in Australia they've uh, they've been offering a two-year warranty on the Surface. The US, it's been uh, one year, the same in New Zealand, although that doesn't seem to quite sort of line up with what we're now seeing. You know, most smartphones in the New Zealand market have moved to, to two years to line up with the Consumer Guarantees Act. Uh, any movement there on, on the warranties now? So look, I don't have the answer there about the uh, about what's happening uh, at at retail, uh, you know, consumer end. Uh, can certainly can certainly come back and let you know about that next time. But um, what we do inside commercial with business is a one year warranty, and when a customer buys that through um, through reseller, they can actually spec it up to three year warranty. And they can also get accidental damage protection. So if you smash the screen or drop it, uh, you're actually covered. So it's a bit like having a it's a bit like having an insurance policy. The consumer warranty. I mean, as you point out, New Zealand's got the Consumer Guarantees Act. You know, devices have to be fit for the you know the lifetime of the device. And I guess it's open to you know interpretation about what the lifetime you know of a tablet is. I would actually, if I was a consumer, I would say that the lifetime of a tablet is even longer than two years. Yep, no, fair, fair comment. All right, oh, that's good. And uh, anything else that's sort of from your perspective that, uh, um, you know, that stands out in terms of 
you know that's going to attract extra attention to this in the market because I guess uh, if we look at the other surface products, they've been selling okay, um, but they're not. You know, they're, I guess they're not um, um, taking a huge amount of sales away from uh, from laptops yet, or or from the iPads. What do you look, think is going to happen? I, with I this? think, uh, Paul. I think, frankly, you know, we are going to see the death of the laptop. I mean, the hybrid device just makes so much more sense in terms of cr- in terms of crossing across. The creation scenarios and the consumption scenarios, you know, the and I think the thing that we've really focused on are those productivity. It's you know, it's in our it's in our DNA, it's in our blood at Microsoft, and, and this is a device that we think is really built for achievers, people that want to get stuff done, not people that just want to read but want to write, not just people that want to listen to music but they want to compose, not just people that want to watch videos but actually want to create stuff, and and I think. Uh, you know the, the 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 market and the analysts and the naysayers kind of misunderestimate the fact that still for a lot of people, the the way they make money in their professional life and their creative life still centres around the PC. And and if you watch the video this morning from New York, you know we showed off a couple of uh, things that we've been doing with Adobe uh, around new versions of Photoshop that that you know that go with Touch as well. And I think the you know the final thing I'll, I'll say is that look, I think this is really is a much better laptop replacement. You know, you've got your choice of different uh, uh, performance there up to i7. The, the, the combination of the better screen, the bigger screen, you know, the integration into into OneNote, the new kickstand, the, the fact that dock is going to be available, and frankly, the fact that we're going to have a lot of stock of this available, which has been a challenge with Surface Pro 2 because we didn't build enough of them. Uh, all of those things that we, you know, all of those things are going to be addressed with this new product that releases in August. And uh, Paul, I will make sure that we get you one of these to have a play with, um, probably in about two or three weeks. Right. All right. Well, that's excellent. I think um, our listeners will be will be certainly looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that hands-on experience. Uh, now, lastly, a lot of the rumours suggested there was going to be a uh, a Surface Mini. Any comments you can make on that? Look, there's nothing. Uh, you know, we 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 know that uh, you know customers love Surface. We know that they've been asking us for you know bigger and smaller uh, devices, and so you know we've addressed the you know we've addressed the bigger device, and um, you know we're still thinking about how we're going to grow the family into other devices and into wearables and other types of you know, technologies, and, and, and uh, look, you'll hear some more noise about that later in this calendar year. All right. Oh, we look forward to hearing more. Thank you very much for your time, Nathan. Much appreciated. Thanks, Paul. Well, that's it. That's the first details on the Microsoft Surface Pro 3. Now we're going to jump across to a chat I had recently with Scott Yarra from Pivotal uh, while I was in Sydney. Now this one probably more of interest uh, to those who are involved with uh, enterprise IT uh, rather than uh, rather than uh, those who just have an interest in uh, consumer technologies. Well, welcome along to the podcast right now with Scott Yarra uh, from Pivotal. Scott, welcome along. Thank you for having us. Now, tell me a little bit about uh, Pivotal and uh, and how it got started and who are the sort of key people behind behind the company. Sure. So uh, Pivotal is a, a new venture that was formed uh, about one year ago from uh, EMC and VMware uh, to basically create a, uh, a sort of next generation cloud computing company. Uh, that was focused on helping enterprises uh, really sort of more uh, effectively take advantage of uh, cloud-based computing. 
Sure. Now, I mean that that's a big sort of lofty yeah. lofty goal. Uh, you know, to be this sort of future next generation firm. What are the specific areas that uh, that Pivotal is focused on uh, right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, um, it was definitely an ambitious uh, uh, endeavor. Um, I think the reason why we formed the company is uh, we had a particular um, set of beliefs that, um, in the end, cloud computing is not really about uh, where it's done. Uh, There was a lot of talk about these public cloud services, but it's more about how software is being written these days. Um, And we think that there were three really important attributes to that. Uh, One was sort of this notion of an open cloud world, so that when we want to write new applications and software, they really should be able to run on anybody's cloud, whether that's Amazon's uh, or it's Google's, it's uh, VMware's. There's this uh, cloud platform called OpenStack. And so the future of of great software should be able to run on uh, any or or multiple clouds. And that's what we call open platform as a service. Um, The second is that we think... um, what makes uh, uh, software really powerful when it's run in the cloud is that um, they, become, they can become intelligent or data-driven. So this sort of world of big data processing and analytics. So Pivotal has put together a, a big data stack, if you will, an, an industrial big data platform to allow these next generation of cloud applications to be um, sentient or intelligent. And the third is that... That, that sounds a little bit scary, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, simple things that we now uh, think about when you um, are at Amazon and when you buy a product, you want to see what other related products are there, right? Um, uh, contextual advertising, things like Uber, uh, letting you know what drivers are there. Uh, this sort of simple services of, of presenting you contextual information is actually takes a lot of data processing to, uh, to make work seamlessly. And so that's a lot about big data. And then the, really the third piece is um, really around what we call agile development. Um, but actually helping companies think about writing software in a new, modern, and uh, more iterative style because of cloud-based computing. I think we felt that these were the three um, necessary components to help companies finally take advantage of this, uh, this sort of new world, I guess. Right. So uh, looking at that open um, platform as a service, um, how hard is that to, to do? I mean, people are used to writing for one platform or another. Right. Um, how can you make that really work and, uh, you know, without uh, turning everything on it on its head, as it were? And, you know, how do you get people to, to jump on board with that? Sure. So I think two things. Um, the project, uh, it's called Cloud Foundry, is sort of the open paths uh, technology. Uh, it was originally created by... Um, and started by a couple of engineers at VMware who came from Google and built uh, pieces of Google's cloud platform. And the whole idea was to how to basically empower developers so that they can spend their time thinking just about the software they want to write and not a lot about the uh, automation that's required to run in the cloud. Um, But the one unique um, distinction they really focused on was to make it work for multiple clouds. Um, and so the way that it's done is Cloud Foundry requires uh, f- like basically 14 methods, if you will, that it can port its software to multiple clouds. And that's what um, our CEO, Paul Moritz, has talked about as Cloud Foundry being the operating system for cloud. And so we look at these public cloud platforms as computers, if you will. 
And the idea is to make sure that Cloud Foundry can run on these modern cloud computers and take that complexity away for the developer. So today, Cloud Foundry is supported and it runs on Amazon. It runs on VMware. It runs on OpenStack. And what's really great about it is a developer who's writing an application in Java, they can deploy that application to Cloud Foundry and it will run the same way it runs on any of the cloud platforms, which is a really, I think, sort of neat neat capability. Right. And uh, where does Microsoft sort of fit into that picture for you? <clears throat> well, I think two things. One is that we want to make sure that uh, customers can write applications for Cloud Foundry in uh, .NET and Microsoft languages and data services. So we're going to be working on adding Microsoft uh, technology support for Cloud Foundry. Um, and then the other, which we haven't um, really talked or committed publicly to, is that you know Microsoft now has its own um, public cloud called Azure. Um, and I certainly sort of can see a day, too, where Cloud Foundry will be uh, able to be run on Azure as well. Now, um, where are you based? Where's the company headquartered? Yeah, the company is uh, headquartered in California. Um, we have offices in San Francisco and, and uh, Palo Alto. Uh, but it's a pretty ambitious venture. You know, we're, we're only a year old um, because the company wasn't, you know, really started uh, with uh, two folks in a garage, uh, but was a sort of spin out of these divisions. Uh, there's about 1,800 people in the company already. So we have... You know, as we're here today, we have offices in in Australia, but, uh, you know, kind of throughout Asia and and Europe as well. And what's your pick for the potential of, uh, you know, how big that pivotal could grow? I mean, with uh, Paul Moritz as your CEO, he he was recently touted as being one of the, uh, you know, potentials to replace Steve Barmer at Microsoft, Um, you know, yourself and and, and some of the others. Um, You know, you've got a a reasonably um, um, capable team I would would pick. Um, You know, what's what's that sort of longer-term vision look like? Sure. Um, Well, I think the thing that we're... We're excited about, and one of the the things I've enjoyed about working with Paul so much is um, he's someone who's had the good fortune of um, accomplishing a great deal, and um, equally important, I think, being fortunate to be uh, part of a couple of really important waves of computing, right? At Microsoft, he was there for 14 years and uh, really saw the evolution of, of PCs and personal computing. Uh, when the idea in the 80s that there would be a PC in every desktop and every home was really foreign to people, and we really did see that future. Um, and as the CEO of VMware for several years, uh, looking at what was happening with virtualization and, and, and cloud computing, um, and we look at sort of this next wave of, of cloud-based computing and, and the intersection of, of mobility and, and, and big data and social uh, that kind of platform change, I think, is uh, is something that doesn't come around very often. Um, and I think uh, Paul's talked about, uh, which I agree, is sort of having the humility to understand that you need to really be part of waves that are much bigger than, than yourself or any one company. I think that's what the 1,800 people are excited about is to look at the next decade of computing uh, and seeing that we're going to see some of the biggest changes that we've ever seen and having a chance to play a material part in that, I think, is what uh, what keeps us motivated. 
Great. And, uh, you know, talking about um, where, where big data sort of uh, fits for Pivotal as, a, as an organisation, um, you know, can, you, can you tell us a little bit a bit more about, um, you know, what it is you're doing and maybe some of the, um, yeah, some of the, the stories of, uh, um, yeah, customer engagements and so on that, that would, would interest people? Sure. So I think because of the cloud, right, because we have – you know, over a billion people connected uh, to the internet, and now we're talking about um, this sort of new idea of the industrial internet or the internet of things, but connecting machines as well as people to the internet. Uh, we're now generating more information than we ever have um, in history. You know, that's been very recent. It's been really over the last five to ten years that that, that transformation has happened. Um, and so because of that, uh, whether you're a retail bank uh, or a stock exchange, um, you're a medical device company, you're an auto manufacturer, you're a, uh, a telephone or wireless carrier. Um, all of these companies are realizing that they're generating huge amounts of information and the insights to understand what their customers are doing um, and how their business is being run is, is stored in all that data. Uh, and the challenge is, is that the previous database systems or technology platforms weren't designed to actually store and process that amount of information. So we really felt that um, in this next uh, wave of cloud-based computing that these big data um, analytic platforms are going to be really important. And so uh, Pivotal has built its own um, uh, big data stack, if you will, based on Hadoop. And uh, we're working with companies like GE um, that is uh, deploying the Pivotal data platform across their aviation business and their um, healthcare business and their energy businesses because they're just now starting to th- come up with initiatives to use that data in really inf- interesting ways. And, um, you know, we, I guess we, we usually associate big data with really large organizations like GE and so on um, because it's been such a big investment to actually, uh, you know, utilize it and to get involved. But mm. how's that sort of scaling down to become you know, more practical for sort of smaller uh, organizations? When we look at New Zealand, sure, there's some big customers and uh, government entities and, and, the, and the like, but, uh, you yeah, know, most of our businesses are, um, are a lot smaller. How, how relevant sure. um, are you able to make um, yeah, big data to them? Yeah, well, I think the really um, exciting things is really when big data um, really sort of intersects with cloud platforms so that you can offer big data processing or or data processing simply Mm -hmm. as a service, right? And uh, so we had uh, Cyrus here from uh, Curious, which is a partner of ours in in New Zealand and, and a spin out or a subsidiary of TDV. And they really had a vision of doing uh uh, business analytics as a service, uh, but enable to do that so that you could make it very turnkey for a small or medium-sized business to have uh, some of the data processing capabilities of a big enterprise, but not have to build it themselves. Um, you know, Curious required a sort of cloud-enabled data platform so that they could provide that not just for one customers, but for many, many smaller customers in an automated way. So this is where I think it gets exciting, where we can take. Um, the same platform that um, can handle the needs of one multinational global company like GE, or we could partner with someone like Curious who actually wants to do that for thousands or tens of thousands of small to medium-sized enterprises um, and, and provide ways to get started without having to build it themselves. 
And how easy do you think that will be for those sort of smaller businesses to be able to, uh, you know, un- understand and, and you know partner with someone uh, like Curious to be able to you know, get results that are that are really going to be uh, you know um, yeah, delivering a lot of value into their their organisations. Yeah, and in, in some sense, I think that's the um, almost the best place to start. You know, if we look at who has. Uh, jumped early and, and first with um, public cloud services like Amazon Web Services. It's usually individual developers. It's startups and it's uh, medium, small to medium sized businesses that don't really have their own internal IT department. You know, I think Pivotal uh, uh, Cloud Platform is designed to help enterprises who can't move to these public clouds embrace them. Um, but I think more and more we're going to see more service providers who are offering cloud services like these data analytic services to the small to medium-sized market, which is going to be very attractive. You know, you can sign up with a credit card, uh, upload your data, and be productive. Uh, that's a that's a big deal. And some of, in fact, some of Amazon's fastest-growing cloud services are around the analytics and the and the data processing side. Great. And I guess look, looking at Amazon, and they're, they're always, I guess, an example that are, that are often looked at in terms of just, you know, how, how well their services work, how smart they are with those uh, recommendations and, and so on. But, I mean, they've always had a huge uh, you know, team of experts behind that. How accessible uh, is this technology sort of making, making that? Yeah, so I think the, the great thing about cloud-based computing is that when – the platforms are there. It allows much smaller teams to be, um, you know, incredibly productive, right? <clears throat> so we've seen, uh, you know, starting with the consumer side, but you've seen companies that are only built and run by a handful of software developers. You know, Instagram, when it was acquired by Facebook for a billion dollars, was about 30 people, 25, 30 people. And, uh, incredible, isn't incredible. it? Incredible. And obviously yeah. we've seen WhatsApp. You know, yeah. uh, more recently acquired for $20 billion, which is mm. uh, even sort of more mind-blowing in some sense. Uh, they had 55 employees. And uh, the reason why is because when you can rely on these cloud platforms um, and for developer services, then the energy can be focused on the creativity and the ideas that they have and then learning from the information that's coming off these apps to make their software better. Um, so the leverage that we've seen now because of because of the cloud, I think, um, is something that we just never even have seen before. And I think that's just getting started. You know, it's sort of like how we're doing this interview. There's some technology that before we would have to go into a big physical recording studio, you'd have to sure. have physical media to distribute the uh, the interview. And now with a very simple digital device and then instant publishing to the Internet, it can be reached by anyone in the world. Uh, that kind of leverage in, in the cloud is what we're just starting to see. Yeah, and I guess that's probably exciting for a country like New Zealand where we, we've got a lot of uh, you know, small businesses. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of uh, areas where there's innovation and creativity. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's interesting in terms of our potential to uh, maybe build the next uh, Instagram Absolutely. Or, or the next uh, WhatsApp. It's yeah. great to be able to tap into... Uh, um, when I feel like you guys kind of had one in, in Lord, you know, she... <laughs> uh, uh, really got discovered on SoundCloud and, and YouTube, right? And so um, even for musicians, they're able to reach a global audience and get discovered overnight because of cloud-based computing. It's really uh, pretty awesome. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I think for a, for a country like ours, it's I, I guess a fair way away from the rest of the world. Uh, we really have to be leveraging the the best of of technology and tying that together with our own uh, IP and and innovation. So, Absolutely. Hey, great to spend some time with you, Scott. Thank you very much. I've yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for the time. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Take Cheers. care. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast this week. Uh, you can, of course, find us online, nz, nztechpodcast.com. Uh, we're across uh, Twitter uh, and Facebook and uh, and Google+. Plus. So uh, we're with connecting with us uh, in those locations as well. And, of course, we'll be back again with another edition uh, next week. And you can expect uh, that one also to hit um, probably a day later than usual, as, as this one has uh, due to my travelling schedule. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya.